This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Allen back to throw again. Throws one over the middle. It's tipped, and it's intercepted. C.J. Mosley's got it. Runs right to the 10. And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. I'm your host, Ben Blessington, with Michael Nania. And we have just wrapped up day two of the NFL draft. By the time you're listening to it, we'll be getting ready to kick off the final day of the NFL draft. But first, we'll recap everything that happened tonight, yesterday for you, uh, as the Jets uh, had quite a lot of action uh, for, for Joe Douglas. Moved around the board, made some great picks, made some picks maybe Jets fans weren't expecting. But overall, another great day. For Joe Douglas, uh, in our opinions, you can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter. You can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, iTunes. You can also find it at JetsXFactor.com. Uh, currently, the best place to go for Jets content, in my opinion. It's uh, a lot of work's gone into the site, and it's it's uh, looking really good right now. So just make sure you check that out, JetsXFactor.com. But Michael, let's kick it off. Your overall opinion of of Joe Douglas's second day as a general manager. We'll hop into the specifics, the trades, and, and some of the picks, but just your overall thoughts on, on day two. Yeah, so I think the overall, you know, opinion now that, you know, we're two rounds or three rounds into this, uh, he's made four picks, two trades. I think overall, you have to, the overall takeaway has to be is that he's done exactly uh, what we wanted him to do. And obviously it doesn't, you know, come down to whether or not he does what fans want him to do. But it's just the bottom line that he's addressed the offensive line aggressively, took Becton in round one after uh, so, you know, making so many moves in free agency to, to address that unit. When he get, got a wide receiver in round two, was able to trade down uh, and still get Mims, even though we all wanted him in the 48 spot and still got him after moving down. Uh, but the overall takeaway right now is that he clearly has an understanding of you know, not only positional value, just league wide, but combining that with the Jets needs. Uh, he's done a really good job of just understanding what this roster needs, uh, but at the same time, not reaching to fill those needs and taking guys who, you know, fill the positions of need and, you know, patch the holes that they have, but at the same time are still worthy talent wise of being picked in the slots where they were picked. And uh, what he did with Denzel Mims was just masterful. Uh, we all wanted Mims in that 48 spot. It was. It seemed unlikely he was going to be there. We hoped and prayed he was going to keep falling, and he did. Then they moved down. I don't, I don't think a lot of people liked it. I definitely didn't. 
uh, but it shows you why we're all sitting here and talking on a podcast and why he's actually making the moves uh, because Mims fell down there to 59. Uh, and that, that was just a masterful move by him. So uh, definitely the next two picks, which of course we'll talk about, were a little bit more surprising. But overall, we sit here now. Douglas has made the majority of the most premium investments that he'll make in this offseason through free agency in the first few rounds of the draft. And he has made a lot of investments into the positions where the Jets are the most needy. So I think that's what's most important. He has a clear understanding of the needs of this roster and has been aggressively attacking them, but at the same time, smartly, uh, smartly doing it and not just, you know, right. reaching for needs. Yeah. As you said, um, uh, he was doing what we wanted him to do, but uh, yeah, I think, and I think you tweeted this earlier that the main takeaway uh, from this is that the jets have a competent GM. I think, uh, this was the most relaxed I think I've been after they traded down and got Mims. I was like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing. I did say to you, by the way, I did say let's not hate the trade just yet because they did pick up that extra third and then they moved that third to New England, picked up two fourths uh, and then a six next year. Absolutely fleeced New England in my uh, in my opinion. There wasn't really a can't miss guy they could take there at one one. So you go and add two fourths. Now when you're looking at their picks tomorrow, they have six of them, uh, 120, 125, 129 all in the fourth. So Three picks and, and nine selections will be interesting to watch. Then in the fifth, they have 158. And then in the sixth, they have 191 and 211. So six picks tomorrow, no seventh rounders. Ten picks overall for Douglas. He's done a terrific job. And yeah, as you said, that trade down was was so masterful. Uh, I think it was a risk, though, because there's no way to completely know that Denzel Mims would have fallen to him. My prediction was that they moved down and were comfortable taking Matt Hennessy there. But the fact that Mims was still staring at them, I think they knew. Um, that they had to take him, and, and what a player he is. I'm really excited to talk about him. Um, just a, a perfect fit. But overall, just looking at at, at Joe Douglas's second day, uh, really excited about it. So let's talk about Mims first, then we'll talk about Davis, Zaniga, the other trade down, and then look forward to uh, later today, I guess, uh, for, for our listeners. Uh, we were talking before the, po- or before the draft had started about the receivers that we wanted to fall to the Jets. And it was pretty much one of either Pittman, uh, Higgins, or Mims. Please, please, please fall to 48. You know, Chenault was in there as well. Um, but out of those three, uh, those were the three that we wanted. I figured that Mims was going to be the first one off the board. Some people had him going in the first round. His combine was insane. Uh, but then the first two picks of, of round two, T. Higgins and Michael Pittman, I was like, oh, he's not making it to us w- without Joe Douglas trading down. The fact that he fell all the way to 48, and then we, then Joe Douglas moved back and still got a player of his caliber. Michael, what does he bring to this offense? Uh, what are his strengths? What are his weaknesses? Yeah, this is really exciting. And like you said, I think coming into the second round, uh, T. Higgins and Pittman still being there was definitely surprising. And, you know, that was validated with them going with the first two picks. They were not going to last that long. And and they were just really a part of, you know, what has been a hot topic with this draft, that it's just so deep and so talented, especially a wide receiver. Those are two guys who probably would be first-round picks. But one guy who was mocked in the first round quite a bit was Denzel Mims. It never seemed like he was going to... It seemed like he was going to be first-round pick, but if not, he would, you know, and especially how it played out, go in the top of the second round if he wasn't taken in the first. But uh, he kept on sliding, and a few other receivers did go in front of him. K.J. Hamler, Chenault, uh, Chase Claypool went a, a lot higher than expected. Uh, so, you know, some teams did pass up on him for other players, but I think in this portion of the draft where he went, these are some very unique skill sets. You know, you're talking about Claypool, Hamler, Chenault, uh, and Mims. These are four very different players, so it could be just as much 
less so about his talent compared to those guys and more of just those teams, you know, looking for those specific kind of skill sets, you know, uh, Hamler going to Denver, you know, they picked Judy in the first round. So Hamler is definitely a better compliment there. Uh, Steelers already have Juju Smith-Schuster and a few other fast receivers. So it could just be more skill set. The reason that he fell and, you know, that happens on draft day. Some guys it's, Sometimes it's less about, you know, any particular flaw and more just the fact that, you know, he's consistently the second option for a team and he just falls through the cracks. But I think that's what happens with Mims because he's definitely, a, you know, high second round, low first round kind of talent. Really, most drafts of first round talent. He brings so much to the table. Nine intermediate range touchdowns last year, which is 10 to 19 yards downfield. That was the most in the entire nation. Uh, so he's very good in that range. And a lot of those were fade routes. He's just so good. Uh, at getting up and uh, high pointing ball in the air, tracking those fade routes. Uh, and as a route runner, he's just really physical. He's able to toe that line between, you know, pushing off offense, you know, getting drawn for an offensive pass interference, towing the line between that uh, and just using physicality, fighting off the corner's hands uh, and being able to gain separation in that way. And I think that's what a lot of the great receivers are able to do. They're able to be physical to the point where they can create separation for themselves without being called for a penalty and it's it's a very hard thing to master and I think Mims really has that and if he's going to be a complete superstar then he does have to master his overall route running game a little bit more in terms of just being able to create separation with quickness and sharpness out of his routes but in terms of physicality being able to open himself up that way he has it and athleticism wise his speed score uh, the combination of his 40 time and his weight he's 207 pounds around the 40 at 438, 96th tile speed score when you combine those two things together. So great athlete, can get above the rim, great in the intermediate range. He really offers a lot. Drops are a little bit of an issue, but he did get uh, to a slightly, he really struggled in 2018 with those, but only slightly below average in 2019. So he improved there quite a bit. He's been consistently productive, at least eight touchdowns uh, in each of the past three seasons. So uh, there's a lot to like with Mims. He's a guy who I think, you know, could have gone in the first round this year, probably would go in the first round in most drafts. Uh, so for Douglas to not only, you know, get him in the second round, but to add a, a third round pick uh, by trading down and still be able to get him was, uh, that was a highlight of this draft. The Jets could have drafted two kickers after that. It still would have been good uh, <laughs> after getting Mims. That was just, that was amazing. I, that's probably the most wild I've gone over a second round pick. With the right. Jets, other than Christian Hackenberg, that's in a negative way, obviously. <laughs> but uh, that was just—it it was really awesome to see that. I'm so excited to see what he he does with this team. Yeah, they essentially moved down from 48, picked Denzel Mims, and then added two fourths and a six-round pick. It was really masterful GMing, and Mims was the guy that most of us wanted. Uh, I think when you look at, at Douglas's first two picks in Becton and Mims, the thing I like is that they're big swings, which is something that McCagnan hasn't really done or didn't really do as during his tenure as, as a GM. Uh, they were high-ceiling guys, big-swing guys, but not just high-ceiling guys based off their measurables. They were high-production guys, uh, which is something exactly, I like. You know, right. a, guy like, a guy like Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, who many thought could go in the third, he's still available in the fourth, and maybe that's a, a better spot for him. But if the Jets were to take him in the third or something, people would label him as a high-ceiling guy. But that's not a high-ceiling because of his production. It's a high-ceiling based off his measurables and whatnot. Mekhi Becton and Denzel Mims both 
dominated uh, their competition this past year, in addition to having crazy measurables and dominating the combine. So you're excited about their future, but they've also given you enough on the field to know, hey, these guys are football players. They came to play. And Mims, you know, I said to you, I think I texted you uh, a few hours before the draft, and we were talking about the three Pittman, uh, Higgins, and Mims. I said, you know, I think Douglas would like uh, Mims the most because what do the Jets need? Okay, they need uh, a guy who can ju- who can win the jump ball scenarios for Sam Darnold. Given his play style, his creative play style, he he likes to roll out, throw it up to guys. He finally has a guy, especially in the red zone, that he can throw it up to, play some basketball, and get the ball. They need speed. He brings that definitely more than Pittman and Higgins with that forty time, and you clearly saw it on on film as well. He brings sizes with which is what the Jets need. Uh, he was just overall, and he brought the production. He was overall just uh, an intriguing prospect, and and I'm amazed that he lasted all the way to 59. I really thought he was going to be a late first round pick, uh, and I know Packers fans were were quite upset uh, when when he uh, when the Jets took him, but really excited about this pick for Sam Darnold. And I'm starting to feel a little bit better about the Jets' outside weapons now. You know, Perriman and Mims are both high uh, ceiling projection uh, type of guys, but if they hit, I mean, the Jets could have a, a very sneaky good receiver room. I also expect them to to add a receiver uh, with one of these fourths tomorrow or today um, and, and really round out that receiving group. But Denzel Mims, uh, I would say A-plus. A-plus pick for, for, for Joe Douglas. If you're counting the trade down and even not counting the trade down, the fact that he, that he got him in the second round, um, really, really, really excited about this pick. Um, moving forward though, it did get a little bit more interesting. I think, uh, I was very happy with the Mackay Becton pick. Obviously everybody's been really happy about the Denzel Mims pick. Uh, then we're sitting there the third round. Uh, I'm saying, uh, they're going to take Matt Hennessy, you know, 59 or excuse me, it was pick 68. Uh, he was still on the board. I think you take him, you could slide McGovern over Instead, they take throw a little bit of a curveball, take safety Ashton Davis from Cal. And, and Michael and I had mocked that the Jets would take a safety, but we didn't have him taking a safety until I think round five, maybe even round six. Um, so it's a little bit surprising that they took him the third round. I think if he didn't land Mims or if this was Mike McCagnon, people would be a lot more upset about this pick. But I will say uh, this is not somebody that Michael or I really looked at much in the pre-draft prospect, uh, process because we really focused on the receivers, the edge rushers, the corners, and the and the offensive linemen. Safety was more of a day three afterthought. But I will say all the all the draft nits, all the people who who do this for a living, I got to say uh, the objective uh, draft uh, objective draft Twitter loves Ashton Davis, uh, and they talked about his versatility, his background as a track star. Um, he's clearly going to come in. And, and give Greg Williams versatility. That's the word we keep hearing. I think he's going to play a lot of three-safety looks. It allows uh, the Jets to play Jamal Adams more in the box, allows uh, Jamal Adams to rush the passer. Uh, you know, Maybe uh, Davis can play uh, some corner, some slot corner and dime packages. He does give the Jets more of a roaming free safety than they've had. Obviously, Marcus May is a very uh, good free safety, but, but Davis seems to be more of a ball hawk. Um, so... Michael, what can you tell Jets fans about Ashton Davis? Because that pick was was the most head-scratching that I've seen. But from that pick, I can only surmise that he had to have been a favorite in the front office. And when they were sitting there at 68, they are like, how is this guy still available? Let's get him. He, you know, he's going to become an ace on special teams, good kick returner, you know, fits the culture. Uh, I would imagine he hit all those buzzwords. But, Michael, your thoughts on Ashton Davis? What, what do Jets fans need to know? Yeah, I was definitely surprised to see that. Like you said, I thought they could – you know, make a move for the interior offensive line with Tennessee still being there. Uh, they could have made a move at cornerback. There are a few good corners still available and edge rush removed, but they did go with Ashton Davis. And 
look, I think overall, as you said, just he is definitely a good value at the spot where they took him. Another guy who was you know, seen as a, a second round talent, I think mostly is the consensus. Um, they were able to get him in the third round. So they got good value talent wise, definitely. Uh, and I think it's definitely an interesting look into because like you said, I think uh, we definitely thought they were going to take a safety in this draft with the the marquee Christian move falling through. I think that definitely kind of signaled their plans to kind of uh, add another safety that's going to be used regularly in this defense as a rotational piece. And uh, it seems like Davis can come right in and fill that role. He's, uh, like you said, a guy who can play deep, is experienced. Uh, he's played in the slot quite a bit. He's uh, played a lot of cover one, cover two, deep. Uh, he's kind of like you, you kind of mentioned it, kind of like Marcus May, but a little more versatile with the ability uh, to come down and play corner and rotate around the field a little bit. Not quite like Jamal Adams in terms of playing in the box. I don't think he has the size or physicality to really uh, be able to play in the box, but he does have the coverage versatility to be able uh, to you know come down into the slot, play man-to-man, even a little bit of outside he played. Uh, and, and some scouting reports think that he could uh, be a, uh, a candidate to transition over to corner full-time in the league. So we'll see if that's what the Jets are thinking of or if they just want... Uh, to use them as the third safety, which it seems like uh, they could be looking to do. And also you have Marcus May's contract running out. Uh, so maybe they could be looking for a contingency plan if they're not playing to bring him back or, you know, even they want to trade him just, you know, as a wild idea. There haven't been any reports about that, but uh, it could be a May contingency plan based on or, or the comp pick. him. Right. And also with the comp pick, which is something the Jets have not taken advantage of Uh over the past few years and something that a lot of good teams do take advantage of. Uh, so it could be Douglas setting the tone for that. But I think overall what you have to, whenever a pick like this happens, you just have to look at value. Uh, and it seems like Davis is definitely a player who was talented enough to be taken in this spot. In, in this spot, he's extremely athletic, great in coverage. Uh, so it definitely makes sense uh, because at this point in the draft, like obviously you have needs that you want to fill but the players who are available at this point are there for a reason. They're not uh, instant, not likely to be instant, uh, instant impact starters or else they would have gone the first round. So you can't just, you know, sit here and try to, you know, fill every single starting spot in your roster and pass up on talent uh, when it's available. So clearly he's probably one of their, uh, probably their best player available at that point if they're going to take, you know, pass up on so many positions of need. So uh, that's what's most important at this point. Make sure you're adding talent and, you know, just not leaving talent on the board in favor of positions of need. You take everything into account. You balance need with the talent. And it seems like here that Davis did make a lot of sense. So it's going to be interesting to see where he slides in. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, fans and myself included uh, like to see drafts where it's like, oh, that's a big need. That's a big need. Box checked, box checked. Right, exactly. And, Ashton and, Davis- and really, for the most part, they did kind of do that. They went right out and got O-line wide receiver like we wanted. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, it's it's Joe Douglas's strategy is a lot different than Mike Kagan, where you'd see picks at positions where the Jets already had a ton of talent. Consistently, he really didn't draft off need. It was very strictly best player available outside of, for the most part, the first round. Um Actually, never mind. DeQuinta Williams and even Jamal Adams. So never mind. Mike Cagan was very strictly best player available in his mind. Um, yeah, but a player like Davis, or excuse me, with Douglas's drafting style, you're right. He, he has folk. He's tailored it more to the Jets, the best players for the New York Jets, uh, trying to trying to give his coaches uh, guys that fit their scheme and whatnot. Uh, so with Davis, 
it's a little bit different. He's not necessarily it's you can't look at him and be like, okay, corner. The Jets clearly needed a corner or an interior offensive lineman. Safety was probably a little bit lower on people's radars, but I think the Jets are getting a good football player. And anytime you get a good football player, you add a good football player to your team, especially in the third round, uh, you can't complain. Uh, so I think he's going to be a guy that comes in and is going to have success with Greg Williams' system. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think he is going to play a lot of corner for the Jets. I think he's going to play that deep safety, bring Jamal into the box more. I think you're going to see him a lot in the special teams unit. We've talked about it. The Jets have lost some special teams contributors um, in the, the offseason. A guy like Davis comes in and, and really helps that unit a lot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, would I have preferred to see them go with Hennessy or maybe a corner like Cameron Dantzler? From a need perspective, yeah, but also I'm not an NFL scout. I haven't been sitting and watching these guys for a whole year. Um, you know, I, I would imagine that that they looked at their board and Ashton Davis had to have been fairly high on it. And they're like, this guy's still available. This is still a need for us that we plan to address tomorrow. Um, but he's he's such a good player. Let's take him now. You can't complain about that. Joe Douglas had a quote that was interesting to me. I don't. It's not exact. I'll, I'll paraphrase, but it was essentially just saying, you know, we're going to go into this draft and get the guys that everybody in our, in our organization is excited about. So he wants to get the guys that, that fire uh, the personnel department up. And I'd imagine between Becton and Mims and Davis, they did that. Uh, with their 79th overall pick, they did address more of a dire need, and that's getting to the pass rusher. Or, geez, let's get to the passer, um, Jabari Zuniga, the pass rusher from Florida. Michael, what do Jets fans need to know about him? Yeah, this was a, uh, you know, they addressed a position of need here. I don't think he was a name that, a lot of people were expecting. I mean, right right before this, I asked people what they were looking for. They got about 55 replies. Not a single person put his name. Uh, but a lot of those <laughs> names were edge rushers, and a few of those guys did go afterwards. I, I will say, uh, that was like when I, not to cut you off, that was like when I did the uh, what wide receiver do you want to fall to 48 poll, and Pittman had like 50% of the responses. <laughs> and even Joe Blewett quoted it was like, Mims is getting no love here. So it was something like Mims is getting disrespect or something. And as soon as they picked Denzel Mims, I went and rechecked it. It's like even now. I think Denzel, and it was like over a thousand votes on it. Right. So. It's, cra- it's crazy <laughs> the hindsight. It's, it's hilarious. But, uh, you know, with, I'm guilty of it uh, too. Right. But with 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 Zuniga, I think that uh, he produced really well this past season when he was healthy. He only played five games. He missed uh, seven games with the high ankle sprain. But when he was out there, his pressure rate was at an elite level above the 90th percentile. Even his run stop percentage, he was active in the run game with an elite rate in that facet as well. That actually would have been, you know, at the rate it was a very small sample size. He only played five games. But at the rate, uh, his run stop percentage over those five games would have put him top five among all edge defenders in the nation. So he's playing really well this season uh, when he was out there. And, you know, the few seasons before that, he's pretty solid as well. But uh, I think from the little I've watched of him, I'm not going to claim that I've watched his film extensively. But from the little I've watched, it, it seems like he does have, you know, a decent repertoire of moves. I've seen him also line up on the interior. I believe he's about... Uh, somewhere in the 260s in terms of his weight. So, you know, he does have enough size to where you could stick him on the inside occasionally. It's something the Eagles do a lot. They even did it in the Super Bowl a few years ago where they put Brandon Graham on the inside and he wins with those mismatches, having, you know, enough strength to survive in there, but the quickness to really be a mismatch against guards. I saw a little bit of that from Zuniga, but on the edge too, uh, he just does a lot of these guys, I feel like, especially in this part of the draft, are just, you know, they get a lot of production, but it's mostly based on motor, just being able to chase down plays and sticking with it, which is definitely valuable. You need guys like that, but just not difference-making talent 
that really affects games from a pass rush perspective. But Zuniga, a lot of the plays I saw from him, it seems like he has a few different moves. He has a rip move. I saw him, you know, split some double teams swimming over the top. It seems like he has a lot to work with from a tools perspective, very similar to a guy they took out of the same exact college a year ago in the same exact round in Jakai flight. But you know, hopefully this is different in terms of an off the field perspective. It definitely seems like it is. He obviously doesn't have the same maturity question marks, but uh, I like this pick because like you said, swinging for the fences, but at the same time, there's production to actually be going off of. It's not like we're just looking at the tools here or anything like that. You know, he's played really well at a high level in the SEC. So you've seen the production uh, to kind of, you know, combine with those tools to be like, okay, this guy has played at a really high level against good competition. Now we've got to get him healthy uh, and we've got to really bring everything together and coach him up to be able to hone those tools and get the most out of his potential. So I do like this pick. Uh, the little bit I've seen from him is promising in terms of, you know, actually being able to make that true impact off the edge. He's not necessarily a burner, I don't think, but really technically, I think he has a lot to work with. But uh, bottom line, I think this is a position of need for them. They were able to address it here high in the third round. Uh, and he has some good production, even though there are injury issues. And he's also on the older side being a redshirt senior. But uh, there's production to go off of. Uh, with him so definitely some upside to be excited about yeah I like this pick as well uh, again I was a little bummed that that Matt Hennessy went with the pick before it's not like yeah, I'm, that, that was so... disappointing I feel like he was definitely on the table if he was there for sure I mean you could make the argument maybe they should have gone with him at 68 but uh, there's still plenty of good interior offensive linemen still available but with Zuniga yeah he slides right in uh, he can play opposite Jordan Jenkins uh, but he joins a, a I don't want to say loaded front seven uh, but certainly a talented front seven, maybe a deep, uh, one. A deep one. That's that's a perfect word for it. Uh, and you're still forgetting. I mean, most people forget Quinn Williams is still on this team, and I do expect him to make a, a big leap next year. If they can get any sort of, of production from him, this front seven, it, it could be scary good. Uh, when even when you're just talking about Nathan Shepard, Fuller Runzo, Fadukasi, Kyle Phelps, Jordan Jenkins, Terrell Basham, it's not an elite group. But it's certainly not a bad group. I can't forget my guy Steve McClendon. And then when you look at the linebacking group with C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson and, and Peanut um, and and Blake Cashman. Uh, so I like what, what Greg Williams has to offer in that front seven. I wonder if they'll double dip and go back to an edge, maybe try to get a twitchier player um, who could just be a, uh, more of a situational pass rusher. Um, but, I mean, I guess you touched on it a little bit, but where do you see Zuniga fitting in the best? Do you see him as a 3-4 stand-up outside linebacker, or do you think he's more of a hand-in-the-dirt 5-tech? From what I saw, I think he was mostly at the 5-technique, which is interesting because the Jets didn't really line too many people up at that position last year. It was mostly uh, they'd have their defensive line on the inside, ranging from you know the nose out to the 3-technique, some four eye technique, but on the edge, it was mostly outside linebackers standing up. You'd have Jenkins, at, mostly Jenkins and Basham out there. Uh, occasionally they'd have Luvu and Lange early in the season, but it was mostly Jenkins uh, and Basham on the outside standing up. But one thing we know about Greg Williams is that he's willing to adapt to his personnel. That's what he did so well in the second half last season, just really going very far away from what he's known to be as a defensive coordinator to fit this defense. And it worked really well. So I think uh, he's going to be able to find a, a role for anyone on his defense that works. He's going to be able to adapt to them. And uh, Zuniga is an interesting fit because he doesn't really go well with, I think what they finished the season doing last year, but 
Also, I think he is a better fit for what, you know, Greg Williams came to the Jets being known for, and that's playing a 4-3 defense, which is where he would fit as a defensive end. So uh, perhaps they're looking to, you know, do that a little bit more, kind of spread that defensive line out and rely on them a little bit more for the pass rush. Maybe you could see Quinton Williams on the edge uh, a little bit more in that five-technique position, but uh, I think defensive end is where he fits best. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point that, that you just brought up. And, like, look, in the NFL – Four three three four isn't as important as it used to be. They're right. not in their base package as much as they uh, as as NFL defenses would have been ten years ago. A lot more nickel um, and three safety looks. Um, but I think that's an interesting point that the Jets are going to expect to generate most of their pass rush from that defensive line, not from the linebacking positions. And yeah, I think you're right. Guys like Kyle Phillips, um, Jordan Jenkins, uh, Zuniga, and you know maybe guys even uh, Jonathan Franklin Myers was a guy they added last year who I, I was intrigued by before he got injured. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, of rushing from from guys with their hand in the dirt, uh, and then when you look at how many inside linebackers they added, I think they do plan to use you know maybe three three inside linebackers at a time uh, in certain packages. So, very interested to see what Greg Williams will do. I, I like what you mentioned; it's hit the nail on the head that Greg Williams really adapted to his personnel uh, last year, and I and I would expect for him to do it again. With, you know, with Zuniga and Davis, I think it gives him a lot of versatility in what he wants to do. I still think. They'll probably draft another corner, or maybe another edge, but I think the rest of the draft will be completely offense. And speaking of the rest of the draft, let's just hop into it right now, talking about what will happen tomorrow because the Jets traded their 101st pick, the pick they got uh, from the Denzel Mims trade back. Uh, and with the New England Patriots, uh, and the Jets have only traded with the Pats twice, uh, I believe, and both were, were under Joe Douglas, got the 125th pick, 129th pick, and as I said earlier, the 2021 uh, six-round pick. So now the Jets have six picks today, um, and in addition to that, um, they could potentially have more. One guy we left out when we were talking about the front seven, Henry Anderson, that was a name that's been floated around in the trade block. You know, I don't know how, how much he would net. Um, but you know, maybe even just dumping that contract could be worth it. He he could be a contributor this year, so I wouldn't just dump him for, you know, you know pennies. But if you could get a six or anything for him, I would uh, I would certainly explore it. Avery Williamson is another one, but given his injury uh, and the fact that he can't take a physical, and the, given the the quarantine situation, I don't know if he could be moved. But those are two guys to keep an eye on uh, today as as potential trade um, targets for other teams that the Jets could move. Um, I doubt Marcus May, as Michael mentioned earlier, but you never know. Um, as far as a guy that the Jets could look into bringing in, I don't think they're going to trade for Yannick uh, Ngakwe. I don't think they'll trade for Trent Williams. You never know on those two guys. One guy I would keep an eye on, Curtis Samuel from, from the Carolina Panthers. Michael, I know you're not as high on him, but given the Jets receiving depth chart, he does seem like a guy who could fit really well in Adam Gase's scheme. What are your thoughts on maybe moving a fifth or something for, for Curtis Samuel? Yeah, it could be interesting. I, I mean, like you said, I'm not too high on him because you know his, his production just hasn't been very good. But at the same time, like if you the it has to be understood how uh, lacking in value that these last three round th- that these day three picks really are. It's just extremely rare to find a good player. Um, Quincy Nunwa in the sixth round averages of all the sixth round wide receivers taken in the sixth round. Uh, over the past, uh, I believe he was taken the sixth round, right? It was the sixth round that yeah. was drafted. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was sixth round. But of all the sixth round receivers uh, in the 2010s decade, over 50 of them, you have Antonio Brown. And then second in receiving yards per game is a Nunwa. And I love Quincy Nunwa, but he has five touchdowns in his career. And he's only he has he's averaging under 40 yards per game for his career. He's the second best receiver in that round out of over 50 players. So 
it's just extremely hard to find talent at this point in the draft. Right. So uh, Curtis Samuel and, may and not you, be the best player ever. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Well, and you mentioned it earlier that you're glad that uh, they that they have three fourth rounders because out of the day three picks, right. obviously they're the most valuable. But fourth rounders actually do hit on a on a significantly higher basis than fifth, sixth, and seventh rounders. And none of the Jets' remaining sixth round picks are seventh rounders, so it does increase the odds slightly that Joe Douglas can find some real contributors here in day three. Yeah, of, of those six picks, you have three of them in the fourth round and in the higher part of the fourth round. So it's uh, it's a legitimate day three package of picks. It's not like they have five seventh round picks that are basically just undrafted free agent tryouts. Uh, having those high fourth round picks definitely helps as they go into today. Uh, I would prefer that they do not trade down because they already have a really you know big package here of six picks and three of them being about as high as you can get. Uh, in this in on this day of the draft, but uh, back to Samuel, he may not be the best player ever, but uh, even his production is just if you picked a player in the fifth or sixth round or even the seventh round that produced at the level that Samuel has, uh, even though he's been disappointing for a second round pick, if you got that out of a day three pick, they would be a a massive success compared right. to what most receivers do. So uh, anytime you can get a known commodity for a day three pick. I think it's worth it because I, I just think that these picks are overrated in the sense that you look at the track record of success for them. It's just very, very hard to find even decent players in this part of the right. draft. Yeah. And Douglas has 10 picks and, you know, I, I, he really has a chance to put his fingerprints all over this roster. You know, I, I shudder when thinking about the Idzik 12, but the Douglas 10 uh, has a chance to be significantly better. And like, like you're saying, I mean, if Douglas hits on five of, of the 10 picks, it's a good draft class for him. You know, if he can hit on seven or eight, that might be a pretty amazing. Um, but if he hits on five, that's, that's a good draft class because, you know, you look at Ma- Mike McCagman's draft classes. I mean, nobody left from 2015, one guy left from 2016, uh, two safeties from 2017. 2018 was actually a fairly good class. And then 2019, not so great early returns, especially the, the third round, uh, uh, Ja'Kai Polite. Um, but yeah, I mean, he has a real chance uh, with these fourth round picks. I mean, that those are the last three, um, I don't want to say premium, but at least uh, valuable picks I think that Douglas has. And then the fifth, six, the fifth and the two sixes are, are valuable as well. But like you said, they're bigger swings. I think that's where you could see the Jets um, maybe take a backup quarterback, maybe they take a kicker, but uh, I don't know if I'd do that. Probably looking at backup quarterback, maybe a running back if they don't address it in the fourth. Uh, maybe bring in a developmental edge or a developmental corner or somebody like that. But the fourth rounders are where you want to ch- put your finishing touches on this roster as far as guys who are going to see uh, action early on. I think you're looking at, with these fourth rounders, you're looking at another receiver, probably another interior offensive lineman, uh, and then maybe a corner, or you could go with a running back. So, Michael, let's just kick it off here. With these uh, three fourth rounders, and, I, and I, again, I'm super intrigued to, to to watch these picks that are just back to back to back. Um, where do you think Joe Douglas could and should go? Yeah, I do think that offensive line is going to be priority. I, I, I do think that trading back, that is definitely what they've had in mind because there have been some decent names they could go with here or there. But at the same time, this point of the draft, I don't think they're, and especially in the spots where they were when Hennessy went off the board, I don't think there were any talents that they just had to have in terms of value, but there are a decent amount of respectable names that make sense for this point of the draft. So I think trading back, they could, you know, start to build this pipeline a little bit, especially on the interior where, uh, you know, the Jets have Alex Lewis and Greg Van Rowen penciled in as starters, but they're there to hold the fort down. They need some talent behind them 
to develop. So, you know, hopefully next season, but going forward over the next few years, you have those guys ready to take over, uh, you know, again, hopefully next season as soon as possible, because, you know, Lewis and Greg Van Rotenkill, the fourth down, they're not great starters. So to build that pipeline is really important. All good teams have pipelines at every position. Uh, so you just have young talent ready, whether it's injuries, you know, and just being able to take advantage of the cap, staying cheap at all times to give yourself that flexibility. It's important to have talent ready. So this is where the Jets could really start to do that, build that interior offensive line pipeline. And uh, they do have more tackle with Edoga and Fant there, as well as Becton, but uh, they could add some more tackle uh, talent on the on the edge as well. Uh, so I think offensive lines can be priority. I would I would guess they'd make definitely at least one pick today, but I do think that they will make two offensive line picks today. I think that's going to be a priority. Uh, that was a priority when they traded down to be able to you know start to build uh, some young talent that they could rely on going forward. But running back could be on the table uh, to add. Because it does seem likely that Le'Veon Bell is not going to be here next year uh, based on most of the things that we've heard. So I think they could prepare uh, to try not only groom someone to replace him, but add some juice this season. Uh, Also, like you said, quarterback would be an option. Yeah, wait, let me stop you right there, though. Um, Talking about the offensive linemen. Give me some of your, your favorite names for offensive linemen, maybe in that fourth round or, or beyond. Because as you said, I think we'll get into the, more of the positions. Um, I, I teed you off there, but let's let's focus on the offensive line first. Um, between the tackles and the interior guys, who are some of the guys you like? Because I think you're exactly right. The Jets are going to take at least one guy, probably in the fourth, and maybe two guys uh, and to, to, to start that pipeline. So who are some of the names that you like on the interior and then maybe adding another tackle as well? Yeah, there's Tyler Biadish from Wisconsin, who we talked about with Mike DeVito a little bit. Uh, I feel like his stock has really dropped. I, I feel like he was in that second-round conversation and then kind of dipped from, uh, dipped from that point uh, over the past few months. But he's still on the board. Natane Muti from Fresno State, a guy who has uh, really is widely regarded as a first-round talent, but just has chronic injury issues. And uh, I've, I've seen some reports and discussion that he might not get drafted at all because those injury questions are so bad, but uh, he would be an interesting gamble if the medicals check out because his talent seems to be universally looked at as, you know, first round caliber. So he's still out there uh, and there are a couple decent tackles. You have Prince Tega Winago is still there who uh, seemed like a third round candidate, but uh, probably he's going to go pretty early in this draft. We'll see if he even makes it to the jets, Ben Barge from St. John. So there are a couple different options for them. Those are probably the ones that, uh, are at the top of the list, but there's some decent depth here uh, at this part of the draft, I think. There's also Kevin Dotson from Louisiana, who I think, who played with Robert Hunt, who got drafted much earlier. Uh, he's pretty uh, a pretty good option as well. He put up really low pressure numbers, so uh, there are some decent uh, decent options for the O-line. Yeah, I'd be definitely interested in Moody. Um, uh, yeah, we don't have the access to necessarily to the medicals, but if they're... Um... If they're not as concerning as you're making it sound, I mean, I'm fine taking a swing on a guy who has injury issues um, as long as they're not completely chronic where it's the point where this guy's not going to play football again or something like that. But I think you're right. I think he certainly has the talent to be a first rounder. Douglas has like his versatility lined up at left guard and left tackle for Fresno State um, was a leader for them, uh, loves football. So uh, I I would be uh, – I would I would take Moody I guess in that fourth round. Yeah, if he's and there. it's important uh, to realize that the 
the key medical information, it's not just as simple as how many games did he miss. It's, you know, what is he, is he going to be able to hold up in the future? And that's something that we generally don't have access to. Right. Yeah. So between him uh, or be a dish, I'd like to add one of them with one of those fourth round picks. I'm hoping that one of them will be available uh, for Joe Douglas to add. Um, And as you mentioned, there are some tackles as well, because right now the jets, I know you were pushing for for the Jets to take Josh Jones. Me and you were texting, and I was saying, you know, I don't think they should do that. Um, he ended up going to the Cardinals. Terrific value for them. They got to take Isaiah Simmons at eight, and then they get Josh Jones in the third. Um, so Cliff Kingsbury can enjoy that one in his drug dealer house, um, <laughs> drug lord, drug lord house, I should say. I mean, literally looks like a like a shot out of like billions or something. It was pretty impressive. Um, speaking of of the of the head coach and gm uh face cams michael and I had a disagreement on this i was saying that the the quarantine draft so far is more entertaining to me than the than the regular drafts i like just seeing uh the the homes of of the general managers and these head coaches their families and their reactions the great moment when bill o'brien was just losing his shit cuz the, the lions <laughs> backed out of a trade and he was clearly cursing somebody out um, and when Bill but, Belichick left his dog to do the draft. <laughs> and then I loved when Adam Gase was just completely stone cold. I mean, he's just clearly intense. But it was nice. It was nice seeing Adam Gase with just all his, his family. I will say it was impressive that his son had an unsolved Rubik's Cube uh, at pick 68. And then 11 picks later, he had it completely solved. So clearly, it maybe has a future like his dad as, as being a, a genius. Uh, maybe he, hopefully he can run off. It's a little <laughs> bit better, though. Um, but yeah, I, hopefully I, I want them to address uh, one of those uh, an interior offensive lineman with one of those fourth round picks. Maybe you double down if a guy like Prince Tega is still there or Ben Bar- Barch. You could take two offensive linemen around four and just really solidify and build that pipeline. Uh, because as I was saying with the tackles, I mean, you have Mikai Becton. That's hopefully your starting left tackle of the future. George Fan and Chuma Doga will, will probably battle out for the other side, which whichever side you, you start Becton at. Um, but then that fourth tackle, I mean, I know Douglas, Joe Douglas gave a, a shout out to Connor McDermott. Uh, this past week as, as the fourth offensive tackle of the team. But I, I definitely think they should end another uh, offensive tackle. So if a guy like Prince Tega or Ben Barch is there, I think the value is, is strong there for, for the offensive tackles. So I expect uh, two offensive linemen tomorrow, especially since you got six picks. I mean, might as well build the, the, the one position Joe Douglas really, really cares about and knows you need to have, uh, you need to be strong at if you want to win in this league. And when you consider that while Joe Douglas has, has pretty much, I don't want to say fixed, but he's really turned around the offensive line. Really, only Connor McGovern and Mackay Becton are are guaranteed to be back next year. I right, guess Chuck exactly. as well. But Greg Van Roten's a one year deal. Brian Winters has one year left on his deal. Alex Lewis has three years left on his deal. So I guess he, but I, I believe he doesn't have guaranteed money after this year or something. So these, a lot of those guys are stopgaps. And in an ideal world, I think Alex Lewis, unless he dominates this year, is is a backup. Uh, Greg Van Roten is a backup. But they're solid veteran players. And when Mike DeVito was on, he spoke to this. It's not necessarily having the five best offensive linemen in the league. You want one, five guys who play as one. And that cohesion is a big part of it. And so I, I think that's why you saw the Bills have so much success just bringing in a lot of these mid-level veterans because these are guys who have been around the NFL for a while and they can succeed. And then, like you said, build the pipeline underneath them. So I fully expect them to take two offensive linemen today. Um Hopefully between Moody, Biadish, maybe Nick Harrison or Ben Bredesen or some, somebody like that, Shane Lemieux, uh, one of those guards. But uh, definitely would, would look at a guard and a tackle tomorrow. You were starting to get going on the running back, so let's just focus there. Then we'll jump around to, to some other needs. But the running back is a, is an interesting situation because, as you mentioned, uh, this should be Le'Veon Bell's last year in green and white unless he absolutely dominates and they can restructure. But just given Joe Douglas and Adam Gase's predisposition, 
predisposition towards paying a running back and the fact that there is an out after this year, it just makes a lot of sense that this this will be Le'Veon Bell's last year in green and white, barring a, a restructure. So it makes a lot of sense, like you said, to to draft somebody uh, on day three. We were projecting maybe a fifth or a sixth, but now that they have three fourths, you could use one of the fourths on a guy who can sit behind Le'Veon, you know, spell him on certain series. Uh, bring that burst, that juice, that that you can just hit the gap and take it. You want a home run hitter, but that could potentially also be his replacement in 2021. So, Michael, we uh, I know you had a funny tweet about it earlier. We watched about uh, two minutes of, of YouTube highlights on, on some uh, day three running backs, and that's where we've got our draft grades. So why don't you go ahead and, and talk about I'm just kidding. You have some numbers and stuff on them as well. But we didn't look too much at the running backs, maybe as we should have. But who are some of the running backs that the Jets could look at in day three and that, that you uh, specifically like? Yeah, we we did look at Javon Leak from Maryland for a couple minutes, uh, his highlights, and I think we were able to make some definitive conclusions based on that. So I, I would probably have taken him in the first round over Becton based on what we saw in those highlights, but not really. I, I he Javon Leak is really interesting because he has the breakaway speed that I think the Jets are looking for in a reserve running back, just that speed, that juice that they've been missing. So Leak is a really good option. He has... Pretty good speed. His breakaway numbers are really good. Fourth best breakaway percentage of any running back in college football last year, which is the percentage of his yards that are gained on carries of 10 yards or more. So uh, he is that breakaway threat. I like him. Eno Benjamin is interesting. Darrington Evans is from App State is uh, another speed breakaway threat kind of running back. So there are some interesting uh, and interesting options here if they're looking for that Uh you know, that guy does spell Avion Bell, come in for a couple downs and give you uh, that big play potential. Yeah, I think Leak is is probably, like you, my favorite out of that group. Um, I do like his, his home run ability. And, and one of the things that was maybe sort of a flaw uh, that, that Scout saw was the fact that he he did he was the backup to, to Anthony McFarlane. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And you've seen that with some uh, NFL running backs. They have a lot more tread on their tires. They didn't get burned out in, in college. So I do like the fact that Leak actually kind of saved himself a little bit in college. Maybe he didn't peak too early. Uh, he kept some of that tread on. Uh, and, and he wasn't just his backup and, and it was a small, you know, 5'8", bouncy running back. I mean, he's a six-foot running back. I mean, he's built like an every-down running back. He just has that home run ability. And he's also a tremendous kick returner uh, as well. So if the Jets can land a guy like Leak, he just brings that speed to your offense uh, and also kick returning ability in addition to Ashton Davis. Uh, I suppose. But yeah, Leak is number one for me. Yeah, I guess a guy like, you know, Benjamin, if they want to take a guy in the fourth, Anthony McFarlane leaks uh, uh, the guy in front of uh, Javon Leak uh, is another guy they could look at. Also a home run hitter. Um, so I'd be interested in him as well. Um, but if you're going to take a running back more in the fifth, Leak would be a guy um, uh, or Benjamin or somebody like that. Uh, Darius Anderson was was your other guy that I know you've been pretty high on. If they yeah. could get him in this with one of those six, that could be uh, an interesting position as well. Um, we talked a little bit about the backup quarterback. I do think that the Jets will ultimately draft one um, this draft. I mean, they, they they signed David Fails. It's conceivable that the Jets could just run through this draft and then go inside Matt Moore or Joe Flacco to be the backup, but. You know, with six picks, it, maybe it's worth it to draft a guy and develop him behind Sam Darnold. 
you know, the Jets also did have FaceTimes with five uh, QB draft prospects. Kevin Davidson from Princeton, James Morgan from FIU, Shea Patterson from Michigan, Bryce Perkins for, from Virginia, and Nate Stanley from Iowa. Thank you, Manish, Manish Mehta, for, for uh, those visits. Uh, so, Michael, do any names from that intrigue you? I know we haven't really looked at rookie quarterbacks that much, but these are guys that you probably take with one of your six-round picks to just be the insurance for Sam Darnold. And it's worked out for some uh, pretty successful NFL teams in the past. I do think it is something that can make sense because the Jets have so many picks now uh, with six here on day three. Uh, it is something you could put on the table, but uh, talking about uh, going off of what I was talking about earlier uh, with the lack of success here in the third round, that is not true. It's more true at one position than any other. Uh, and that's quarterback. You look at quarterbacks on day three uh, more so than any other position. It is a complete wasteland of talent. Teams have gotten absolutely nothing out of their quarterbacks. And, of course, there's one guy who everyone knows about who's taken in the sixth round, but that was also 20 years ago, and pretty much nothing else has come out of day three since then. Uh, but picking quarterback in day three is pretty much the worst bet of any position. Quarterback really goes really from the first round all the way through the seventh round is just a decline each and every round, more so than any other position. So in that a sense it's really not a great idea and for that reason i don't think i would be in support of it but i, I guess if the jets traded down again and added even more picks it could make some sense but uh they although they do need a backup probably could improve uh the backup position because david fails is just you know probably one of the worst backups in the league has not played a ton in the league and when he has he has not been very good uh so the jets can get a lot better at backup but I don't think a day three quarterback is going to do too much to improve over David fails. And you just look at the track record of quarterbacks taken at this point in the draft. It's very, very bad. So I, I personally, it's something I'm not in support. Of. I mean, I, I see what you're saying there, but I do think uh, that the, the argument can be made. Well, look, I mean, unless you're signing a guy like Matt Moore, or Joe Flacco, I agree with you. <clears throat> Excuse me, but otherwise, David Fales is your backup quarterback, and I think the argument could be made that that if you drafted a guy like like James Morgan or somebody like that, his ceiling is significantly higher than David Fales. If you're going to have a guy, a young guy that you're going to mold behind Sam Darnold, might as well make it a guy that that you want to invest in, even if the likelihood that he turns into the next, you know, Aaron Rodgers or whatever is is, is supremely low. Um, I still think you can draft a guy who can turn into a high. Uh, upside backup. You know, Kirk Cousins was drafted in the sixth round. Um, that's about the only example that I can give you at this moment. <laughs> but there are there are backup quarterbacks that have been taken late uh, in the draft that have been able to produce when their starter goes down. And it is something that I think the Jets do need to address. If it's, I agree with you. If it's if they're not going to do it in the sixth, um, although given the fact that they've interviewed five, it, it does point that that they're looking at it. Um, they have to do it in free agency because. Sam Darnold has missed three games uh, in 2018 and then in 2019 as well. So, you know, they seem kind of fluky. There was a toe injury and then a mono, but he did also, you know, hurt his thumb against the Jags. He had bruised his ribs, uh, hurt his uh, uh, foot, I believe, again, towards the end of the season or something. So he has been banged up. Hopefully the new and improved offensive line helps that. 
but I, I don't necessarily disagree with the draft strategy of, of investing in a quarterback, a young quarterback late and just seeing what comes of it. Um, I guess the Patriots are the other example of drafting a guy like Jacoby Brissett, even though Jacoby Brissett isn't, you know, a, a high upside starter or whatever. He is a pretty solid backup. And I think the chances are that you could get a, a solid backup in day three with one of those sixes. Uh, now with the position that is probably the most important um, for the Jets or the one that I, in addition to the offensive line, I think they'll definitely address with one of the fourths. That's wide receivers. Michael, you're one of your favorite wide receivers in the whole draft. Tyler Johnson from Minnesota is still available. Talk me through some of the wide receivers that the Jets could be looking at. First, what should the Jets be trying to target in a re- receiver? What type of receiver do they need uh, for Adam Gase's offense? And then, yeah, who are some of the guys uh, that the Jets could look at? Uh, and, and what could they bring uh, to Adam Gase's offense? Well, in terms of need, I think the same uh, the same goal applies with the receiver as pretty much any other position at this point of the draft. It's uh, you're just looking for the best talent that you can get. It's hard to be too picky here and pass up on one player because they don't necessarily fit while another player might be a better fit because, uh, you know, at this point, anything you can get out of uh, these picks at this part of the draft is uh, it's a big win if you can get any level of, con- of a contributor uh, at this point of the draft. So for that reason, I think it's mostly just you want to take the best available player and just kind of slide them in there and see uh, where they fit in. Then, you know, higher in the draft, if you're talking about a first round pick or second round pick, then fit probably makes more sense because that player is more likely to actually, you know, have the talent to be able to play in the league. So you want him to be able to fit within your offense. But at this point, you don't know if these players are even going to be able to be good. You hope that they are and that you can coach them to be, but uh, you don't know if they're going to be able to, Uh, even be able to crack your rotation. So you just want to get the guy who has the best chance of being able to do that. So I think at receiver and mostly, uh, especially with this team being so weak on the outside, yes, they just added Mims and they do have Perriman, but uh, it's still one of the least proven wide receiver groups in the league on the outside. So uh, I think they could, uh, for the most part, just want to look for whoever they think is best player available on their board, probably makes the most sense. Uh, And for me, obviously, the numbers are... uh, are, are my focus, but I mostly uh, like to look at uh, in terms of evaluation. And Tyler Johnson just checks so many boxes from that perspective. In terms of his overall production, yards per route run, third best in the entire FBS behind C.D. Lamb and T. Higgins. So he's extremely productive. Uh, his, deep production, uh, his deep production is among the best in the entire nation at receiver. So I really like Tyler Johnson. I feel like uh, from his film... Uh, he's kind of, again, there's a reason he's available at this point in the draft. I'm not saying he should have been a first round pick or anything like that, but I feel like his production is backed up in the sense that uh, he's not, there are a lot of players who put up good numbers because they play in a, you know, college offense in which they're, you know, their team's throwing the ball a lot or they're just getting open in zones or screen passes, things like that. Johnson was winning a lot of contested balls down the field. So uh, I feel like he definitely, uh, is can be a really good value at this point in the draft. I, I do think wh- whichever team picks him is going to get decent value. Hopefully it's the Jets, but there are some other ones. Donovan, Pe- uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who you mentioned earlier, who is a, you know, uh, a high upside uh, pick in the in just in the way that he hasn't had a ton of production, but he really fits the mold physically. Uh, he has incredible vertical leap uh, and just overall explosiveness numbers. Uh, I believe 99th percentile in both broad jump and the vertical jump for uh, Peoples-Jones, Antonio Gandy-Golden, K.J. Hill, Gabriel Davis, Colin Johnson, Isaiah Hodgins. There are a lot of 
pretty good names here. This and, and the depth of this receiver class really does uh, trickle all the way down, even to this point of the draft. So the Jets could make another play there. There's no reason they should take that off the table just because they drafted Mims. They still need to help Darnold as much as possible. This is still a weak position group. Uh, until anyone on this outside receiver group proves anything uh, in, once the season rolls around. So uh, it definitely could be a position that they target with one of these three fourth round picks. Yeah, I certainly think it should be. I think after the fourth round is when you'll see, obviously there's still going to be good receiver. I mean, I shouldn't say good. Uh, people have talked ad nauseum about the, the how deep this receiver class is. But after the fourth round, I think you do start to see a, a drop-off right. of the type yeah. of receiver you're getting. You've kind of already seen a drop-off. Uh, that's why I was so happy to get Mims is because I felt like he was kind of the last receiver part of that top tier um, of receivers. Maybe not yeah, top he, tier. He definitely the, closed out the first tier, I think. Yeah, may, maybe the second tier if, if Judy, Lamb, and yeah, Ruggs yeah, yeah. are the top like, tier. So but that You but have those the, three guys at the top, then the second wave after that. Right. He was the top tier of the second rounders, the day two guys that they could have taken. So that's why I was so glad that the Jets got him. Um, now we've started to see them phase out of the the rest of the day three guys, the Brian Edwards is um, the, the Van Jefferson's guys like that. Um, but yeah, if they could get a, if a guy like Tyler Johnson still on the board when they're picking, uh, I would I'd run that car to the podium or I, I'd zoom that car to the podium. But um, yeah, with 120, 125, 129, you're looking at you definitely want to add a receiver uh, with one of those picks. I definitely want to add an offensive lineman with one of those picks. And then that last one, you could double dip it at offensive lineman, or you could look at a cornerback. And speaking of corners, Michael, who are some corners the Jets could be looking at? Because, yes, Ashton Davis can play some corner. They still have some question marks on the outside corners. Uh, I like Pierre Desir, who they brought in from Indianapolis, but he did struggle with some injuries last year. Um Sean Austin, I like him. He certainly had a, had a great end uh, to the 2019 season, but he did get benched in the uh, Week 16 game against Pittsburgh, didn't play in Week 17, um, and it does feel peculiar to, to really bank on a six-round guy as being your starting corner, although I do love his upside, Arthur Millette. Maybe they could sign a guy, uh, but it does seem like maybe they should draft a corner with one of these fourths or maybe the fifth as well. So who are some of the corners you think they should look at? Yeah, Bryce Hall is one guy who I think was going to go a lot earlier from Virginia. Uh, yeah, he's definitely a guy who I think if the Jets are going to, uh, and this is what's interesting, are the Jets going to try to build off of the success they had at the end of last season, You know, playing more cover three, playing the corners off the ball more, or is Greg Williams going to try uh, to get back to doing what he's known uh, for doing, and that's playing aggressively in the outside so he can blitz on the inside. So, if they want to stick with what they did at the end of last season, Bryce Hall makes sense. He's more of a cover three fit. Had some trouble with the injuries this past season, but his production has been really good. Only 66 passer rating allowed last season when he was on the field. Uh, so Hall slipped quite a bit. He's an interesting fit here if they want to stick with the, the way they played defense at the end of 2019. Uh, but there are a couple of other guys who have, who have really good numbers, who uh, I've been taking a lot in the fifth and sixth rounds of the mock draft simulations I've been doing who are still on the board, Dane Jackson from Pitt, uh, Josiah Scott from Michigan state, and also Lamar Jackson from Nebraska, who obviously probably just stands out because he has an interesting name, but that's MVP. really the reason that, uh, yeah, he, he was the MVP last year. So, you know, maybe he just, maybe there's something in, uh, the name, like, you know, yep. everyone names with Lamar Jackson has 
won the MVP who's been taken the past few years. So he does have that going for him. You, I mean, you would come up with some weird stat like that. It, it's re- reminiscent of when the Jets took uh, Robert Griffin, the offensive guard from Baylor, the year after <laughs> Robert Griffin III was drafted. At that time, Robert Griffin III was looked at as, as a top quarterback. Who um, ironically but, does play with Lamar Jackson right now. I guess that's true. Huh, okay, there's a sign. I think we're, we're on to something here. I think, I think we are. Something. I don't know I, what it is, but it's something. Might, you might be a little bit lower on Lamar Jackson. I do think that he could be worth looking at with that fifth round pick or maybe the, the last of the fourth. Um, I, I, I like Lamar Jackson. I mean, I've, I've just I do taken actually him like all... this Lamar Jackson. He does have pretty good numbers. He's definitely on the table as a legitimate option. His numbers are actually really good. He only gave up a 56 passer rating this season. Hmm. Well, uh, that's interesting to say the least. I do think the Jets should target a corner. We touched on all the other positions that that I think the Jets should take. Minus one, maybe the edge rushers. Michael, real quickly, let's talk about them. Obviously, they did address this at the end of the third, but could the Jets double dip here? We know how much you know getting after the quarterback can help a defense, especially a defense that doesn't have uh, great cornerbacks. Uh, do you think Joe Douglas will look at it if a guy like Curtis Weaver or Bradley Anae falls uh, to one of those fourth-round picks? Do you think you know he'll look at it and just know that Greg wants him to, to get two guys in back-to-back rounds that he can just throw uh, and try to wreak havoc on, uh, on quarterbacks? Yeah, Weaver and uh, I'm going to try and pronounce it, Bradley Anae from Utah. Uh, those two guys, are uh, they both they were both really productive in terms of pressure and uh, I, I don't think they were expected to go in the third round. I think they built a lot of buzz recently, and it was considered a possibility. But uh, this is the hot spot for them probably here in the top of the fourth round. So they, they could go there. I, I, the thing with them at edge is that they have a lot of players who are, you know, penciled in, even though they don't have, uh, you know, that legitimate star yet. You know, they have Kyle Phillips, Terrell Basham, Jordan Jenkins. Uh, there are a lot of pieces out there that, you know, are, uh, pretty decent players who they do probably want to have uh, playing there. Obviously, that they took Zuniga uh, in the third round. So they have a lot of pieces penciled in there, so it is a little bit crowded. But uh, at the same time, it's a major weakness. And if there's a guy who you think has the upside to be, uh, you know, the next Yannick Ngakwe in terms of just being a late-round hit and bringing that pass-rushing juice, the next Daniel Hunter out of the mid-rounds, uh, then you could, should definitely take that shot because they have to figure this out. Uh, and it's something that they unfortunately did not were not able to address with the premium investment this offseason because they had to prioritize wide receiver and offensive line first. But next season could be when they do that. But if you could still take that shot uh, again, it's just based on talent and your board at this point, more so than any uh, particular need. But uh, Anna and Weaver are really interesting at this point. Uh, if they do want to go there. And uh, there's actually one guy who you're pretty familiar with, and we've been talking about him a lot. Why don't you fill everyone in on your man? Well, Kendall Coleman, University of Syracuse. (laughs) Or, Jesus, Syracuse University. Jesus, I go there, and I just said that. (laughs) Uh, Kendall Coleman, uh, well, I I think I'm just a fan of his uh, just because I sat next to him in in my philosophy sport class. He was a nice guy. We talked about him. I did say, hey, the Jets need an edge rusher. Um, You know, he 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 grew up a fan of the Colts. uh, and just overall, just a really nice guy. But he was pretty dominant for Syracuse uh, getting after the quarterback. I, I, I said to Michael, uh, he kind of reminds me uh, of a Jordan Jenkins-like player. He's he's a little bit bigger. If you get him in the sixth or the seventh, maybe you're not getting a guy that uh, 
develops into Khalil Mack or a top tier pass rusher. But I, I'm pretty sure that if you get Kendall Coleman on your team, one, you're getting a high character guy, and two, you're getting a guy that I think can produce. I think his floor is very high. So when you when you talk about the the uh, the low hit rate on on sixth and seventh rounders, I do think it's worth taking a look at a guy like Kendall Coleman who could come in and you. I believe uh, he has great technique, can get you, you know, three to five sacks a year. He might not ever be that 12 to 15 sack type of guy, but I believe he can be that three to five type uh, rotational g- contributor. So, yeah, I mean, if he's available and the Jets uh, want to take him with one of the sixes or they trade down and get a seventh, uh, I would certainly poke around taking uh, Kendall Coleman. And his numbers are respectable, too. 82nd percentile and pressure rate at 12 and a half percent. So uh, definitely has that going for him. Well, we'll see. Um, uh, I'll keep my fingers crossed on, on the Kendall Coleman front, but six picks for Joe Douglas certainly has as a, a chance to, to completely put his fingerprints all over this team. He's done a good job through th- two days. Michael, real quick, before we close, any last predictions uh, for today uh, or things you would like to see happen, guys you'd like to see the Jets pick, maybe a few guys that you really, really want to see the Jets uh, or end up uh, zoomed in as, as members of the Green and White? Well, I think this is both a combination of a prediction and what I want to see. But I do think they will go with two offensive linemen today, uh, especially earlier on. Maybe one of the fourth round picks and the fifth round pick that they have. Uh, I do think that they will not make a trade today. Joe Douglas already made two moves down uh, up their pick total from uh, I believe they had seven. Did they they had eight to start out, right? They yeah, eight, eight, now they have ten. Yeah, now they have ten. So he already added two picks. Uh, added one with the first trade, added one with the second trade, also one next year. So I, I feel like the trade, they are going to uh, mostly stand pat uh, here on day three. They have three fourth round picks, which is about as good as you can ask for going into this day. Uh, so I think they're going to be pretty content with their position, focus on the offensive line first and foremost, uh, but then go from there looking at running back, cornerback. Uh, I don't think they're going to go after a quarterback. Uh, but I think those will be top priorities. Offensive line followed by running back and cornerback. And then uh, I think you'll see a receiver pick in there. Uh, then with the six pick, I think you could see a real wild card. I know no one wants to see a defensive tackle or something like that, but I feel like they're one of those picks is going to be something out of the box, kind of like uh, Ashton Davis in round two, but uh, like a, a special teams player, a player who may not fit. Right. A positional need, but is mostly there just for special teams value because they do have some players to replace there, such as Brandon Copeland, who went to New England, who played really well for them on special teams as uh, a blocker in the kickoff return team. So that's something they could look to replace. Uh, yeah, here tight end. Six. Yeah, tight end also uh, is something where uh, an area where they could add competition, uh, even though they what have. What you mean uh, is, yeah, I meant it's just like a, if you're going to look at a wild card with one of the six, is right. it somebody you're not expecting? Yeah, I could totally see a tight end or a defensive. And that actually tackle. is really common because uh, when I was going through all the draft success rate stuff that I was doing uh, on Jets X Factor, one of uh, one of the themes with tight end is that it's they've had one of the highest hit rates in terms of being able to play games in the league and last in the league, but they're consistently near or at the bottom in terms of the value that they produce, because most of these guys who are lasting in the league aren't doing it as receivers. There are a lot of, uh, you know, blocking tight ends and special teams players at tight end who, you know, teams are being able to find them. uh, And those guys are contributing for a long time, but they're not doing it as receivers. So tight ends in the late rounds are uh, a very common pick and they do tend out, uh, tend to pan out very well in terms of, you know, contributing as blockers and on special teams. So I could see the jets doing that. 
Well, there you have it, folks. Um, yeah, as far as any uh, hopes uh, for guys that, that I'd like to see in green and white, any Tam Moody's definitely one of them. Tyler Beadish, Tyler, Johnson. Be Tyler Johnson for sure. Um, one of those tackles, maybe Prince Tega or, or Ben Barch. They could be interesting to really fill out the offensive line. And then, as far as the corners, yeah, I would love to add you know either Bryce Hall, Troy Pride, or, or Lamar Jackson. Um, and yeah, I definitely want my guy Javon Leak at, at running back. So. Who knows? We'll see what Joe Douglas can do. It does feel good to feel like we have a competent GM who knows what he's doing. Um, really excited with, with what he's done the first two days and excited to see uh, what he does um, to, to finish things out here. So um, everybody, I uh, hope you're staying safe. So hope you're staying indoors. Um, uh, you can find uh, this podcast at CYJ Pod on Twitter. You can find it on iTunes or Spotify or at JetsXFactor.com. Um, but yeah, stay safe, stay indoors, stay healthy. Uh, and let's hope Joe Douglas can hit day three. Back to throw again. Throws one over the middle. It's tipped, and it's intercepted. CJ Mosley's got it. 